You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. We've got um, four kids, my wife and I. We've been married for 27 years, and she is proud to be a Canadian. And she likes to let me know that almost daily that she's a Canadian. Last weekend, we were up in Calgary, Alberta, and uh, for sure, we went to a place called Tim Hortons. Now, I know you have Dunkin' Donuts this morning, but it's all about Tim Hortons Donuts if you go up to Canada. Um, Our four kids, in which um, we're empty nesters, and so our first son, uh, who's a twin, Andrew is a policeman up in Fort Collins. Has anyone ever gotten pulled over in Fort Collins? Well, if you got pulled over by a 24-year-old boy, that would be our son, Andrew. He's up there with his wife, Jade. And then our second son, who's also a twin, Ben. He uh, flies for United Express, and uh, he's been doing that the last year or so. He actually learned to fly down here in Longmont. So that's sort of a cool experience uh, that he uh, began to do. And then our third son, Isaac, is a student, uh, a senior up at Colorado State University and he is uh, working on a degree, gonna graduate with a degree in sports medicine, and he hopes to pursue orthopedics uh, in that area. And then our, um, our daughter, our fourth child, her name's Ani, and she is a student down a place called Grand Canyon University down in Phoenix, and she's pursuing nursing. Now, the ministry that we're part of, um, that Michael mentioned, and it was great to have Nick, who came up uh, just about a month ago and taught up there at Ravencrest, is uh, Ravencrest is part of a ministry called Torchbearers International. And the ministry Torchbearers International was started by a man by the name of Ian Thomas, who was a major in the British forces, in which Major Thomas was a Uh, a major in the British forces, part of an organization of the British military called the Royal Fusiliers. And uh, as part of the Royal Fusiliers, he was part of the the army, the military that uh, did the occupation of uh, Germany after the war. And if you can imagine a man that was leading the British army over those four or five years and really commanding his men to fight the Germans, at the end of the war, the Lord gave him an incredible vision to reach out to German young people. And in reaching out to German young people, they were invited up to the north of England to a place called Cape and Ray Hall. And Major Thomas uh, passed away about 10 years ago, but I remember one of the things that he said to me, and he lived up here in Estes Park, Uh, Major Thomas put it this way. He said, if one German could have six million Jews killed, one Jew, that being Jesus, could save over six million Germans. And he had such a heart in reaching these German young people that were invited to the north of England to a place called Cape and Ray Hall where they would go for summer retreats. And then at the end of the summer, Major Thomas really thought it'd be great to give these German young people a gap year, a one-year foundation in Scripture and in their identity in Christ before going back to Germany. And so the ministry started in 1947 with German young people 
But then those German young people going back to Germany as torchbearers, the ministry then really spanned around the globe, from England to Germany to Austria, different parts of Europe, different parts of North America, down in the areas of Australia and New Zealand. And so there's 25 centers like Ravencrest scattered around the world in which young people get a foundation in scripture, but also grow in their identity in Christ. And I would encourage all of you, as you drive up to Estes Park, stop off and visit us there. We're on a road called Pole Hill Road before you get to Estes Park, and we'd love to show you around. Throughout the year, we have different retreats, and our facility is open to anyone. If you just want to come and have a personal day and just visit our campus, you'd be more than welcome. So it really is a privilege to be with you this morning and really excited for what God has in store as we look at his word and for what he's going to teach us. I grew up in upstate New York, about two hours north of New York City in the Hudson Valley area in a small town called Rhinebeck. And um, as a kid growing up, I remember going to a place in upstate New York called the Baseball Hall of Fame. I don't know if any of you have ever been there, the Baseball Hall of Fame. And I remember going into that Hall of Fame as a little leaguer, maybe about 12 years old, and I'd often bring my glove. And I remember going through this Hall of Fame of these baseball athletes. And I remember looking at the monuments dedicated to Babe Ruth, dedicated to Ty Cobb, dedicated to Hank Aaron, Mickey Mantle, all of these players. And I remember thinking as a little leaguer, did any of these guys strike out? Did any of these guys make mistakes? Did any of these guys drop the ball? I was just a little leaguer, and I felt insecure. I felt overwhelmed by these perfect baseball players. How many of you on a Sunday morning come walking in and maybe you look around this room right now and you look around this room and this room is filled with a hall of faith, men and women that God has used so faithfully and maybe you walk in figuratively with your baseball glove and you think, I strike out, I drop the ball, I look around and this room is perfect. Well, I want to tell you something, if you feel imperfect, you're in a room filled with imperfect people that are in process. Because a man by the name of Oswald Chambers puts it this way, God is more interested in the process than he is in the finished product. And every one of us in this room are in process on the way to becoming a finished product that God is molding and shaping us into the image of his son. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews in chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, let's begin at verse 24. And beginning at verse 24, what we're going to look at this morning, we're going to look at a man named Moses. And Moses was a man in process. When you think of Moses, you think of a mighty leader. When you think of Moses, you think of an incredible leader that led two and a half million Jews out of Egypt. But he was a man in process. He was a man that was not defined by his past. But he was a man that God used his past to refine him to become the man of God that he wanted him to be. 
And so this morning, where am I looking? Am I looking to the past or am I looking in the present as I'm looking forward into the future? Don't allow your past to define you, but allow God to use your past to refine you to become the men and women of God that he wants you to be. We can just spend time getting to know each other and each of us often are going to be defined by an event. We're going to be defined by a broken relationship. We're going to be defined by a situation in our lives. But if you hear what I'm saying, don't allow your past to define you, but allow God to use your past to refine you to become the man or woman of God that he wants you to be. And here in Hebrews chapter 11, and picking up at verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing, very important word, choosing, rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And so this morning, we're going to really begin with looking at the life of Moses. But there's a key expression there, as you see in verse 26. He did not consider the things of Egypt, which were fleeting. He did not consider the things of Egypt, which were passing by, because he was not distracted by the things of this world, but he was fully attracted to him, God. And as it says there at the end of verse 26, he was looking to the reward. He was looking beyond what he saw and he was looking to him who is unseen. And maybe right now, you're in a situation right now in which the fleeting pleasures of this world are passing by you and we can become easily distracted by these things or are we attracted to him who is unseen? Very interesting expression it says, for he grew up. Let's go back to the book of Exodus, and we need to look at the life of Moses. What does it mean for Moses that he grew up? So turn with me to Exodus and chapter 2. And we're going to begin by looking at the life of Moses, and we're going to take three sections of Scripture concerning him, and we're going to look at this. What does it mean that Moses grew up? And I love using the expression of words. And often we say it to people, maybe as a parent, you've said it this week to your children, maybe in another situation you've had to say it to someone, and maybe you said this expression, will you ever grow up? Will you ever grow up? Will you grow up? Age is a matter of fact. We're all growing old, aren't we? Look to the person next to you and say, you're growing old, you know, because age is a matter of fact. But you know what? <laughs> Maturity is a choice. Let me say that again. In which age is a matter of fact, 
but maturity is a choice. And what it said of Moses there, he chose, he chose. You could be 18 and very mature, and you could be 55 and very immature, because age is a matter of fact, but maturity is a choice. So as you turn to Exodus chapter 2, you need to look at this first vignette as it would be, or snapshot in Moses' life. Exodus chapter 2, and beginning at verse 11. And the title for this message is, Where Are You Looking? And if you do word studies as you go through God's word, I'm going to emphasize a word that's going to be used. And it might be the word look. It might be the word see. It might be the word saw. Because there's going to be a really important element there. Do we see him who is unseen in the seen things of this world? Who's the object of your faith? Is the object of my faith the circumstances which are seen? Or is the object of my faith he who is unseen, who demonstrates himself faithfully in the seen things of life? Beginning in chapter 2, verse 11. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and, what word? Looked on their hard labors, on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And he, what word? Looked. He looked this way, and he looked that way. And when he looked this way, and he looked that way, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. He went out the next day. Behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince or a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh, stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Where am I looking? Where are you looking? The first point would be this. When we look this way and we look that way without looking God's way, we will always, always have a foolish heart. And what is a foolish heart? A foolish heart is when I, as Moses there, I am found living independent of God. A foolish heart, when I look this way and I look that way without looking God's way, I live independent of him right from the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve were living independent of God, they took their eyes off him and they put their eyes around them. Do you know what it means to be foolish? The Greek expression, and we're going to look at it a little bit later, in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Be ye filled with the Spirit of God. Previous to that, the word to be foolish means to be full of yourself. Not as God designed it, but we are to be filled with Him. Every day, every step. Maybe this morning on your way to church. Maybe yesterday in a situation. Through your thoughts, through your words, through your actions. Was I or am I being filled with myself or filled with the Spirit of God? I remember when I was a kid about 10 years old, our family went on a family trip and we invited another family to go with us. 
And uh, we went to a place in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania. We went to this retreat center called Pinebrook. And I remember this other family that came with us. There was a kid in that family. His name was Russell. And I could not stand Russell. I looked for every opportunity to pull a prank on Russell. Well, the opportunity came in which one day Russell was standing out on this wooden pier over this freezing lake there in the Pocono Mountains. So I thought to myself, here's my opportunity. So I looked this way and I looked that way. And you remember what happens when you look this way and you look that way without looking God's way? You're going to have what kind of heart? Foolish heart. And so I look this way and I look that way. Without Russell looking, I tiptoed across that wooden pier. I got close to Russell and pushed him into the lake. I thought it was funny. But all of a sudden I realized this little 10-year-old couldn't swim. And I was frozen. What's going to happen? Fortunate, there was an adult that walked by. They saw the situation. They came down, they jumped in, and they pulled him out. When we look this way, and we look that way, without looking God's way, we will always be a fool, full of myself. And in the context here, Moses is wanting to do a right thing, but he does a right thing in the wrong way. And so often, it's not doing a wrong thing in a wrong way, which is foolish, but sometimes we want to do a right thing in a wrong way or a wrong timing, and we become a fool. Waiting time is never wasted time. Waiting time is never wasted time. Every one of us here this morning probably want to do God's will. But too often we want, to do, we want to do God's will according to my way. We want to do God's will according to my timing. But we should have a heart for God's will, God's way, God's timing. Keep your finger there in Exodus and just turn with me to that passage there in Ephesians chapter 5. And I just want to pull out that Greek expression there that says being a fool is full of yourself, but how God has designed us is to be full of himself, not ourselves, but filled with him. Ephesians chapter 5, and beginning at verse 15. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, it says, look, here's that expression, look, keep your eyes open. Be thou my vision, Lord, right now. Look. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be, what's the word? Foolish. And the Greek expression there in the culture is don't be self-sufficient. How many of us in this room are control freaks? You can put your hand up. Or maybe as a control freak, you don't want to put your hand up because you want to be in control and let people know you're not a control freak, but you know you are a control freak because you're full of yourself. I'm full of myself at times. That's what it means to be self-sufficient. But watch the context here. 
making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And what is the will of the Lord? Verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit of God. You and I have been designed in such a way that from the Garden of Eden, His Spirit living within our spirit, that His Spirit will fill as our spirit, and that filling will take place through our soul, which is our mind, emotion, and will, and that will be expressed through our bodies to the world around us. That's what it means to be filled with Him and not filled with ourselves. When I'm full of myself, I'll make a fool out of myself. But when I'm filled with him, his life will be expressed around me. Now turn back to Exodus chapter 3. Here's the second, as it would be, vignette or snapshot that we would see of Moses who is in process. The first snapshot is him with a foolish heart, living independent of God. I'm going to do it my way. In chapter 3, and let's pick up, pick up at verse 2, in which you know the scene, there's a burning bush here. And again, look for the word, look, see, or saw. Verse 2, or verse 3, excuse me. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush saying, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. What made that holy ground? What made that holy ground? Was there something special about the tree? Was there something special about the bush? No, what made that holy ground was the presence of God Almighty in the bush. A man by the name of G.K. Chesterton put it this way. He called it the divine paradox of God in which a God that is so powerful in creating the universe is a God that is so personal who lives within us. A God that is as so immense and beyond us is a God that is so intimate living within us. And do you understand what makes us special is the presence of the extraordinary God living within inside the ordinary of humanity. As you go through the Old Testament, and I love teaching on the Old Testament, the, one of the first structures in which God lived amongst the people was the tabernacle. What was the tabernacle made of on the outside? Do you remember? It was made of skin. Where was the presence of God? In the holy of holies. Ordinary on the outside. Extraordinary on the inside. Then what was the next structure in which God lived amongst the people? The temple. And the temple was made of rock as it would be on the outside, but the fine, extraordinary presence of God was on the inside. The tabernacle was ordinary skin on the outside, but extraordinary presence of God on the inside. 
The temple was ordinary rock as it would be on the outside, but extraordinary presence of God on the inside. Where's the presence of God today? Right here. I look around the room and I see skin, but as I look at some of the guys, I can see rock. <laughs> but ordinary. Ordinary. Where does the world put the emphasis? On the outside. Where does God put the emphasis? On the inside. The world wants the outside to be extraordinary and leaves the inside ordinary when God wants the inside to be extraordinary and his presence will live through the ordinary. Look around the room and that's just dust. That's just dirt. Some of us in the room might think we've got better dirt than other people, but dirt is dirt. You look at the world today. If you were to go to any grocery store or wherever, as you're checking out, you see magazines, and on these magazines, there's such an emphasis put on the outside. How you can lose 500 pounds overnight. How you can look like Brad Pitt tomorrow. I mean, whatever it might be, the emphasis is put on the outside. But where does God want to put the emphasis? On the inside. So as you go on here in Exodus chapter 3, what made that holy ground was the presence of God in the presence of his creation. And what makes you and I holy ground is the presence of the creator God, the God that is immense, who has chosen to be intimate, who lives his life through us to the world around us. We live in a very interesting day. We could turn on whatever news network you watch, and I don't want to make this political, but whatever news network you watch, we could put it up on the screen, and it would be darkness, darkness, darkness. What's the best way to get rid of darkness? It's not crusading against darkness. It's not speaking out against darkness. It's not making darkness feel dark, because dark is dark. The best way to get rid of darkness is to be light in a dark world. And with the whole midterm elections and everything going on Tuesday, you're going to hear all kinds of conflict. May we be the presence of light in a dark world. And by his life through us, we will be as the way to those who are lost. We will be truth as to those stuck in a lie. And we will be life to those that are lifeless. But look at what God says to Moses as he speaks to him here. God speaking to Moses in chapter 3. If you go to verse 7, then the Lord said, I surely have seen the affliction of the people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. Then go down to verse 10. Come and I will send you. Now where does Moses look? Here. And when we look here, without looking to God, we will have a fearful heart. A foolish heart is when we look here and look there without looking to God. And the second is going to be a fearful heart when we look here without looking to God. And when we look here without looking to God, we're going to be living in disregard of his promises. When I live independent of God, I'm a fool. When I live in disregard of God's promises in which he says he's trustworthy, but we live as though he doesn't even care, we begin to look here without looking to God. 
I love watching children, and, and probably you as parents have done this as we have. Not that we can do it now, because our kids are 24 and 22 and 20. They pick me up. But you ever watch a dad pick up their son, and they pick him up like this, and they might throw him up in the air, and they catch him. They throw him up in the air, and they catch him. And when they put him down, they walk away. What does that child say? Do it again, Dad. Why does that child trust its father? That child trusts its father because that child knows the father. If you and I find it difficult to trust God, and I'm speaking to myself, if we find it difficult to trust God, it's probably because we don't know him as well as we should know him. As I get to know him, I get to see that he's trustworthy. As in the epistle of Corinthians to the church at Corinth, Paul speaks about not being childish, but being childlike. Because when I'm childish, I am demanding. But when I am childlike, I become depending. Childlike is what God desires for us to be, not childish, which is demanding. And so Moses looks here without looking to God. Have you ever looked here without looking to God? Well, look at what Moses says. And you probably have studied this before. You might know. He gives different excuses. Look at chapter 3 and verse 13. Here's the first excuse of a fearful heart. And Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they may ask, what is his name? <laughs> and what does Moses say? What shall I say? Moses looks here. I don't have the answers. Look at the next excuse, chapter 4 and verse 1. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. So when Moses looks here, first excuse, I don't have the answers. When Moses looks here, second excuse, they won't respect me. Last night, my wife and I were down in Boulder on Pearl Street, and we began a conversation with some people that were uh, pushing a particular topic. And as we were engaging with them, in my own mind, there was a moment of thinking, I don't have the answers. Uh, how do I respond? They might not respect me and how I respond. But then all of a sudden it hit me, Frank, you're going to be preaching tomorrow about get your eyes off yourself and put them on me. A friend of ours owns a restaurant down there in Boulder, a place called Pasta Jay's right there on Pearl Street. And often we're down there and we love engaging with people. And last night we were engaged with a group of folks just in a brief conversation. And my wife and I, as we were interacting, we thought, it's not about us, but it's all about God and how God can be the way, the truth, and the life to those around us. God will give you opportunities. One excuse, Moses says, I don't have the answers. Second excuse, Moses says, they won't respect me. Look at the third excuse in verse 10, chapter 4 and verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, because I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And what's his third excuse that he gives here? I can't. You know something? 
And I'm going to say something brutally honest. Can we live the Christian life? I want you to hear this. I can't. And he never said I could. But Christ can and always said he would. And so what do we need to do? As you go throughout the epistles and you will see walk in the spirit, then you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It doesn't say stay away from the flesh, then you'll walk in the spirit. Because when I focus on the do, it keeps me from the don't. But when I try my best to stay away from the don't, it doesn't mean I do the do. (laughs) We often flap in the flesh instead of soaring in the spirit of God. I tell you what, stay away from sin. That's a good thing. But you know what the best way to stay away from sin? Walk in the spirit. Because when I'm captivated by him, I'm not distracted by the things around. But when I try to stay away from distractions, it doesn't mean I'm attracted to him. And Moses is going to learn, get your eyes off yourself and put them on me. As I mentioned, I've been teaching up at Ravencrest now close to 30 years. And I remember the first year I was teaching at Ravencrest, I would look at the teaching schedule and I was often in the class right after a man by the name of Chris Thomas. And Chris is a fabulous communicator. And I was just 23, straight out of college, began teaching up there at Ravencrest. And I remember looking at the schedule and thinking, why do I have to teach after Chris? I would look through the window at the class, and the class was captivated by Chris. The students enjoyed Chris. Afterwards, they'd gather around Chris and they appreciated him. They laughed at his jokes. They were engaged in his teaching. And then it was my turn to teach. And students would fall asleep. Students weren't interested. Students would be doing this, and I'm thinking, I don't think they're taking notes on a story I'm telling. But they'd be doing this, and I, all of a sudden I realized they weren't listening. But they were scribbling notes to, to other people. And so I thought, because you know what? I began to look here. And what happens when you look here? What kind of heart? Fearful heart. And a fearful heart is living in disregard of God's promises. And I'm a New Yorker that was at that point not married. And I was 23 years old. But Chris is an Englishman. And he's got three kids. And his wife is the daughter of Cliff Barrows with the Billy Graham Association, if any of you know who that is. And I remember thinking to myself, because I looked here, and when I looked here, I thought, how could I be just like Chris? And I thought, maybe I need to work on an English accent. How can a New Yorker have an English accent? I grew up talking like this. You know what I mean? You've been drinking lots of coffee with your donuts? Huh? Make sure you're drinking lots of water if you've been drinking coffee. I mean, that's how I grew up. And now all of a sudden I'm thinking, maybe if I work on an English accent, I could be like Christopher Thomas. Now, if I had the headset, trust me, this is how I teach. If any of you have seen me, I tend to walk all around the room. And I engage with the crowd. I engage with the students. But this is how Chris teaches. He goes, God sent his son and to indwell us by the spirit of God into us as the body of Christ. And he would stand like that. And he wears Crocs. 
And I thought, man, if I dress like Chris, if I talk like Chris, if I could stand like Chris, and Chris talks about his kids' illustrations, and I wasn't married then, I thought I need to get an English accent, I need to stand like Chris, I need to get some Crocs, and I need to quickly get married, have some children, and I could be just like Chris. Where was I looking? Here. That's when we become fearful. And that's why I want to encourage everyone in this room, don't look at someone around you but allow God to use you how he's made you. There's nothing wrong with trying to be like someone else. But I tell you what, don't strive to be just like someone else. But strive to get to know God. And God will make you into the man or woman of God that he wants you to be. Because you might not have the gifts that someone else has. You might not have the strength or the personality that someone else has, but God has blessed every one of us in this room to be used by him for the functioning of the body of Christ. I think in Christianity, and I travel a fair bit, and I see whether it's, you know, it's those that are in ministry, myself, I'm in that, those that are part of worship teams, and I appreciate Michael and the team, all of us are part of that, but so often when you travel around, you see people and they begin to look like each other. I go to youth ministry events and I speak at youth pastors. They all look alike in the room. They all dress alike. I'm not making fun of it, but so often we try to be like someone else instead of being who God has made us to be. And so Moses, you might not have the answers. Okay. You might not get the respect. Okay. You might not be able to speak, but I tell you what, I'm going to use you the way I've designed you to be used. Turn over to chapter 6. And who's been talking up to this point? Who's been talking? Moses. Chapter 2, Moses said. Chapter 3, Moses said. Chapter 4, Moses said. Chapter 5, Moses said. Turn over to chapter 6. In chapter 6, in verse 1, but the Lord said to Moses. Verse 2 it's almost like God is saying to Moses, Moses, be quiet. And what does God say to Moses? I encourage you to look at this later. I'm just going to do a brief study through these verses. But look at the emphasis. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Verse 4, I have established. Verse 5, I have heard. Verse 5, I have remembered my covenant. Verse 6, I am the Lord. Verse 6, I will bring you out. Verse 6, I will deliver you. Verse 6, I will redeem you. Verse 7, I will take you to be my Lord. I will be your God. I will bring you in. You get the message? Who's talking? God, when I look this way and I look that way without looking to God, I have a foolish heart. When I look this way and trying to be like someone else, but when I look here without looking to God, I become fearful. And what God wants to teach Moses as he grows him up, don't be defined by your past but allow God to use your past to refine you, to become the man, and as for us, the men and women of God that he wants us to be. 
In closing, turn with me to chapter 14 of Exodus. And in chapter 14, the nation of Israel have left Egypt. The nation of Israel, they're making their way, two and a half million slaves. They're making their way to the promised land. But as they leave Egypt, they look ahead and what do they see? What do they see right in front of them as they're making their way out of Egypt? What do they see? Red Sea. And then they happen to look behind them and what do they see? Chasing Egyptians. Problem in front, problem behind. When I look this way and I look that way without looking to God, I become foolish. When I look this way without looking to God, I become fearful. But if you just turn to chapter 14 and beginning at verse 13, Moses has learned a lesson. And I encourage every one of us this week, vulnerability is a teachable moment. Because you might be filled with yourself as I have been full of myself. And when I'm full of myself, I become filled with pride, as C.S. Lewis calls pride, as a cancer, a spiritual cancer. May we learn humility before we experience humiliation. And may we be teachable in a vulnerable moment. Not I, but Christ. Got an obstacle in front. Got an obstacle behind. And listen to what Moses says. Verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord. Which he will work for you. When? Today. For the Egyptians whom you've seen today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. Moses has grown up, and Moses has a faithful heart. And a faithful heart is when you and I are living in dependence upon God. Obstacle in front, obstacle behind. May we allow God as we look to him to take an obstacle and that obstacle becomes an opportunity to, for God to demonstrate his sufficiency. I love the word opportunity because the word opportunity speaks of a foothold. And I don't know if any of you recently saw the movie Dawn Wall but a man by the name of Tommy Caldwell, who lives up in Estes Park, world-class climber, who climbed as El Capitan in Yosemite National Park, along with another climber, in which they made their way up, finding footholds as they made their way to the top. And in our lives, may we not give the enemy a foothold, but may we allow an opportunity to be a foothold for God to demonstrate his sufficiency. So where am I looking this morning? Where are you looking? I don't know what you're going through, but may we get our eyes off the obstacle and may we put our eyes onto him. Let me close with this illustration. My wife and I were, a number of years ago, we're skiing over at Winter Park. And I remember as we were skiing down the hill, behind us, we heard someone go left, right, left, right, left, right. 
And I turned around to see who was saying left, right, left, right. And as I turned around, there was a man wearing an orange jacket. And on that orange jacket, it said blind skier. And behind him was a instructor, left, right, left, right. And this man was skiing down. My wife and I had to just stop and watch this man skiing down past us. And I remember thinking to myself, that man doesn't have sight. But that man has vision. And whatever you experience, it might not make sense. And you cannot see but may I get my eyes off what is seen, and may I put my eyes on he who is unseen, and the unseen God will demonstrate himself incredibly faithful here and now, not then and there. May I live in the present presence of God in my life right now. Be thou my vision. Be thou my vision, Lord. Because my responsibility is my response to his ability as I walk every step of every day. Let's stand as we close in prayer. I want to encourage you this morning, whatever it might be, that the Lord has impressed upon your heart and your life, that we might walk as in the goodness of who God is in the here and now. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this morning. And I thank you for the privilege and the opportunity of being here at Whitefields. I pray for anyone in this room right now that is maybe faced with an obstacle. That obstacle might be relational. That obstacle might be physical. That obstacle might be financial. That obstacle might be spiritual, whatever it might be. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of your presence and your power in the here and now. As Moses grew up, may we grow up with our eyes fixed on you and you alone. Be thou my vision, Lord, as I walk every step of every day. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.